Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonsalves. Oh, that dog of mine! It's David Cox. God blimey! And I'm Josh Matheson, who's just been deafened. Yeah, my ears have gone now. <laughs> Can't hear anything. On the old it, was, it was a little bit Peaky Blinders, yeah. So this week we are looking at chapter 10 of The Mysterious Affair at Styles. Last week, Dr. Bowerstein got arrested at the end, didn't he? He did. So Hastings went down this rabbit hole of thought, almost in the same way that Evie kind of was putting all of her anger at Alfred by basically saying, well, I don't think it could have been any one of us in the group. So it must be Dr. Bowerstein because it's easier to blame somebody that I don't feel close to and don't associate with as easily and who I don't really like because he's better friends with Mary than I am then actually come to the conclusion that it could be somebody that I know and like. Because, you know, murderers have to be people you hate. They can't be people that you like. So we had this argument between the Cavendishes where... Just out in the open. And he was like yeah. awkward. He just sort of like, he did the Homer Simpson. And like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> disappeared like, into a bush. Into bush. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm only 20 feet up, but I'm on the other side of the tree. So there's no way of knowing. That's very, you can imagine that's very for the stage. That's very Shakespeare, yeah, isn't it? I was going to say, was. Shakespearean hiding is just the night. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit of a and Shakespearean falling asleep as well. Ah, oh, forsooth, because for I am twixt the hedge and the other hedge. So they will not, they'll not know us that I'm here <laughs> with, with the hand behind there. And then that, that bit will happen. Uh, uh, cheeky aside. And I'm not, I'm not so even stupid. like, that's not even parody. That's literally what happened. Yeah, that is. Um, but after that conversation, Hastings then started to confide in Mr. Cavendish about his suspicions that it's Bowerstein and basically started telling all the Poirot's secrets, which is why I think Poirot's got an Evie involved because he's realised that Hastings is a complete liability and just tells everybody everything. (laughs) So it's kind of easier to just go, yeah, no, Hastings, I need another confidant because you're just not cutting it right now. You are insufficient. I'm sacking my intern and getting in another one. Yeah, exactly. Weirdest thing about last... I mean, it's not that weird, I suppose, but it was called Dr. Bowerstein and he wasn't even in it. Mm. Which is fun. But I think it was more like... It was almost like the spotlight was going on Dr. Bowerstein, wasn't it? Because even though he wasn't in it, every conversation kind of was about him. Him, yeah. Whether that's the Cavendishes talking or Hastings and James talking or the Scotland Yardmen and the, the innkeeper at the end... It all all pertains to Dr. Bowerstein, so he was definitely the central theme, even if he wasn't a central character in that. Definitely. But, I mean, this chapter, isn't this one called, like, The Arrest or something? Spot on there. Yeah. yeah. So the I think arrest. we're probably going to find out now if Scotland Yard have completely jumped the gun, completely just made it, you know, balls it up. And I think Poirot's probably going to come to the rescue of another innocent man whose suspicions are completely unjustified mm-hmm. or we'll find out he's mm-hmm. and as a two bob note you never know yeah well how many chapters do we have left isn't it three chapters left uh four including right, this though. one isn't it four including there are 13 one. in total yes yeah so this and so three it, more. we can't have that many more like like dead leads can we we can't yeah, get, oh it wasn't him like we maybe have maximum two other people yeah, we've only really had one red herring so far, though. If you think about yeah. it, we only had Alfred. So many times you could do it without becoming tedious. 
Yeah, oh, I think no. yeah. it's the trifecta, isn't it? Two two red herrings and then the reveal. It's kind of That's that it. tripartite structure that kind of works. Ooh, tripartite structure. Yeah, it's the English coming out. I call it Theresa Magic Number, but sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I call it Theresa (laughs) Crowd. Theresa, oh God. She's not in this one. Not a a character. Well, on that note, should we dive in? Mm. Yeah. Chapter 10, The Arrest. To my extreme annoyance, Poirot was not in. And the old Belgian who answered my knock informed me that he believed he had gone to London. I was dumbfounded. What on earth could Poirot be doing in London? Was it a sudden decision on his part, or had he already made up his mind when he parted from me a few hours earlier? I retraced my steps to Stiles in some annoyance. With Poirot away, I was uncertain how to act. Had he foreseen this arrest? Had he not, in all probability, been the cause of it? Those questions I could not resolve. But in the meantime, what was I to do? Should I announce the arrest openly at Stiles or not? Though I did not acknowledge it to myself, the thought of Mary Cavendish was weighing on me. Would it not be a terrible shock to her? For the moment, I set aside utterly any suspicions of her. She could not be implicated, otherwise I should have heard some hint of it. Of course, there was no possibility of being able permanently to conceal Dr. Bowerstein's arrest from her. It would be announced in every newspaper on the morrow. Still, I shrank from blurting it out. If only Poirot had been accessible, I could have asked his advice. What possessed him to go posting off to London in this unaccountable way? I'm just loving the idea of Poirot in freedom. <laughs> <laughs> you must He's got down, down Soho. He's balance. He's living at large. With his shirt off and some glow sticks. <laughs> He's fully going for it. He's in the middle of Soho right now. I don't know why I take my shirt off when I drink, but hey, it's here. He's already got the moustache. In spite of myself, my opinion of his sagacity was immeasurably heightened. I would never have dreamt of suspecting the doctor had not Poirot put it into my head. Yes, decidedly, the little man was clever. After some reflecting, I decided to take John into my confidence and leave him to make the matter public or not as he thought fit. He gave vent to a prodigious whistle as I imparted the news. Great, Scott, you were right then. I couldn't believe it at the time. No, it is astonishing until you get used to the idea and see how it makes everything fit in. Now, what are we to do? Of course, it will be generally known tomorrow. John reflected. Never mind, he said at last. We won't say anything at present. There's no need. As you say, it'll be known soon enough. But to my intense surprise, on getting down early the next morning and eagerly opening the newspapers, there was not a word about the arrest. There was a column of mere padding about the Styles poisoning case, but nothing further. It was rather inexplicable. 
but I suppose that, for some reason or other, Jap wished to keep it out of the papers. It worried me just a little, for it suggested the possibility that there might be further arrests to come. After breakfast, I decided to go down to the village and see if Poirot had returned yet. But before I could start, a well-known face blocked out of the windows, and the well-known voice said, Bonjour, mon ami! Poirot! I exclaimed with relief, and seizing him by both hands, I dragged him into the room. I was never so glad to see anyone. Listen, I have said nothing to anybody but John, is that right? My friend, replied Poirot, I do not know what you are talking about. Hmm? Dr. Bowerstein's arrest, of course, I answered impatiently. Is Bowerstein arrested then? Hmm? Did you not know it? Not least in the world. Hmm? But, pausing a moment, he added, Still, it does not surprise me. Hmm? After all, we are only four miles from the coast. The coast? I asked, <laughs> puzzled. What's that got to do with it? Poirot shrugged his shoulders. Surely it's obvious, hmm? Not to me. No doubt I am very dense, but I cannot see what the proximity of the coast has got to do with the murder of Mrs. Inglethorpe. Nothing at all, of course, hmm? replied Poirot, smiling. But we were speaking of the arrest of Dr. Bowerstein. Hmm. Well, he is arrested for the murder of Mrs. Inglethorpe. What? cried Poirot, in apparently lively astonishment. Dr. Bowerstein arrested for the murder of Mrs. Inglethorpe? Hmm? What crime does Poirot think that he's like, I have you know, no what, idea. It's, it's like, what, has he been down the docks? Is he like, what, what on earth? Selling his body. He's been smuggling, like, what What to do with he's the He's been, been a lovely lady in Ipswich. <laughs> <laughs> Has he been trafficking? Like, what, what has he been doing? Or what does Poirot think he's been doing that the seaside has anything to do with, you know? But also, not only, not only does he think he's been doing something else, he also thinks that everybody else knows about it, or? Yeah. I don't really know. I don't know. It's very he's odd. Eight, he's eight steps ahead of me most of the time, so. Well, and also it's like everybody at the moment is discussing the murder of Mrs. Inglethorpe. So everything surely is related to that. So when you say someone's been arrested, logically you'd go, oh, it's it's for that. You know, the big murder that just happened in the house that we're all living in. True. Not some random like, you know, oh, what, has he got parking tickets or something? And he's like, <laughs> well, yeah, of course he got arrested. Like, what? <laughs> Though evidently we've all made an ass out of you and me and everybody else. Oh, because we did, in fact, assume, assume when the woman when the woman said to us that he'd been took, we all thought, and we didn't ask any further questions, did we? Well, this is actually that, that how you have said that. That is because obviously, yeah, she has said he's been arrested, but they haven't said in relation to what. Yeah, and it, and it, and if he'd st if Hastings had stuck around, she would have said because he's breaking bad, and then we would yeah. have. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's cooking meth. <laughs> <laughs> Impossible! That would be too good a farce. Hmm? Who told you that, my friend? Well, no one exactly told me, I confessed. But he is arrested. Oh, yes, very likely. But for espionage, mon ami. Hmm? Oh. 
Okay, well, now that's interesting because he's at least, well, as you said, Poirot is eight steps ahead of us. He's come up with actually a logical thing yeah. that, as to why he could be called in for questioning. Well, sure. Espionage? I gasped. Precisely. Hmm? Not for poisoning Mrs. Inglethorpe. Not unless our friend Jap has taken leave of his senses, hmm? replied Poirot placidly. But, but I thought you thought so too. Poirot gave me one look which conveyed a wondering pity and his full <laughs> sense of the utter absurdity of such an idea. Wondering pity is such a good term. It's like a parent looking at a kid who's doing something stupid. Like I had yeah. such high hopes, <laughs> like, like, lick, like lick, licking a licking a fence or something. Yeah, Hastings is, doing, Hastings is doing the sort of intellectual version of licking a fence in the parent's or game, eating like, bubble gum from under the table. Was it, was, it, like was it that glass of wine I had at the party while I was pregnant? Like, yeah, <laughs> I blame myself. <laughs> Oh, I dropped him on his head when he was three. Like. <laughs> <laughs> or in Hastings' case, 22. Uh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you mean to say, I asked, slowly adapting myself to the new idea, that Dr. Bowerstein is a spy? Poirot nodded. Have you never suspected it? Hmm? It never entered my head. It did not strike you as peculiar that a famous London doctor should bury himself in a village like this and should be in the habit of walking about at all hours of the night fully dressed, hmm? No, I confessed. I never thought of such a thing. He is, of course, a German by birth, hmm? said Poirot thoughtfully, though he has practiced so long in this country that nobody thinks of him as anything but an Englishman. He was naturalized about 15 years ago. A very clever man. A Jew, of course. The black guard, I cried indignantly. Not at all. He is, on the contrary, a patriot. Hmm? Think what he stands to lose. I admire the man myself. But I could not look at it in Poirot's philosophical way. So the thing that I'm slightly struggling with here, as he said, why would a doctor from London insert himself in a tiny little village out in Essex? What are you going like, to learn about the war effort? Exactly. Yeah. What What is he... There's not a munitions he, factory nearby. no or, benefit to it. And what, he's just spying on Styles and telling them that Mrs. Inglethorpe takes a drink with her cocoa, like puts rum in it. Like, what is he telling these people? Mm. There's nothing... Surely there is absolutely nothing he, runs he back can to learn. Berlin, Berlin to go. I've got it. They have a meat drawer on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> They've got this really racist house servant called Dorcas. <laughs> like, what are you telling them? Maybe they told Bowerstein. They said, "Be a good spy and do it in style." Classic miscommunication. There he is. You're like, oh. Doesn't seem like they're learning much. <laughs> and this is the man with whom Mrs. Cavendish has been wandering about all over the country? I cried indignantly. Yes, I should fancy he had found her very useful, hmm? remarked Poirot. So long as gossip busied itself in coupling their names together, any other vagaries of the doctors passed unobserved. Then you think... He never really cared for her. 
I asked eagerly, rather too eagerly, perhaps, under the circumstances. That, of course, I cannot say. Hmm? But shall I tell you my own private opinion as things? Yes. Well, it is this, that Mrs. Cavendish does not care and never has cared one little jot about Dr. Bowerstein. Do you really think so? I could not disguise my pleasure. (laughs) He's such a puppy. I am quite sure of it, and I will tell you why. Yes, because she cares for someone else, mon ami. Hmm? Oh, what did he mean? In spite of myself, an agreeable warmth spread over me. I'm not a vain man where women are concerned, but I remembered certain evidences too lightly thought of at the time, perhaps, but which certainly seemed to indicate my pleasing thoughts were interrupted by the sudden entrance of Miss Howard. She glanced round hastily to make sure there was no one else in the room and quickly produced an old sheet of brown paper. This she handed to Poirot, murmuring as she did so the cryptic words, On top of the wardrobe! (laughs) Then she hurriedly (laughs) left the room. (laughs) Poirot unfolded the sheet of paper eagerly and uttered an exclamation of satisfaction. He spread it out on the table. Come here, Hastings. Now tell me, what is that initial? J or L? It was a medium-sized sheet of paper, rather dusty, as though it had lain by for some time. But it was the label that was attracting Poirot's attention. At the top, it bore the printed stamp of Messrs. Parkson's, the well-known theatrical costumers, and it was addressed to the debatable initial, Cavendish, Esquire, Stiles Court, Stiles, St. Mary, Essex. It might be T, or it might be L, I said after studying the thing for a minute or two. It certainly isn't a J. Good, replied Poirot, folding up the paper again. I also am of your way of thinking. It is an L. Depend upon it. Hmm? Where did it come from? I asked curiously. Is it important? Moderately so. Hmm? It confirms a surmise of mine. Having deduced its existence, I set Miss Howard to search for it. And, as you see, she has been successful. What did she mean by on top of the wardrobe? She meant, replied Poirot promptly, that she found it on top of a wardrobe. I mean, what else was it going to (laughs) mean? He's singing to New Lowe's, isn't he? He's just such an idiot. He does patronise, I mean, Poirot does patronise him. (laughs) She's like, well, Hastings, I think what that means is... (laughs) You think we've given him the wrong voice? Because we've given him a sort of Josh's assured RP voice. We should have given him Baldrick. It should have been like a Tim Nice but Dim kind of voice, shouldn't it? Yeah, he should have been. Because that is him. He's nice, but he's not the quickest. He's a Muppet. If it said that it had the costumer stamp in the top, do you reckon it's a receipt for the beard? Yeah, I think it's definitely to do with the, mm. the, the beard. And or then, someone's so, bought something that they've dressed up in, yeah. And if we think it says L, then that's Lawrence, right? Yeah, it is Lawrence. A funny place for a piece of brown paper, I mused. Not at all. The top of a wardrobe is an excellent place for brown paper and cardboard boxes. Hmm? I have kept them there myself. 
neatly arranged. There is nothing to offend the eye. Hmm. Poirot, I asked earnestly, have you made up your mind about this crime? Yes, that is to say, I believe I know how it was committed. Hmm. Ah, unfortunately, I have no proof beyond my surmise, unless, with sudden energy, he caught me by the arm and whirled me down the hall, calling out in French in his excitement, Mademoiselle Dorcas! Mademoiselle Dorcas! Un moment, s'il vous plaît! Dorcas, quite flurried by the noise, came hurrying out of the pantry. My good Dorcas, I have an idea, a little idea. If it should prove justified, what magnificent chance, huh? Tell me, on Monday, not Tuesday, Dorcas, but Monday, the day before the tragedy, did anything go wrong with Mrs. Inglethorpe's bell, huh? Dorcas looked very surprised. Um, yes, sir, now you mention it, 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 it did. Though I don't know how you came to hear of it, a, a, a mouse or, or some such must have nibbled the wire through. Uh, the man came and, and put it right on Tuesday morning. With a long-drawn exclamation of ecstasy. <laughs> just trying to visualise what that might be like. <laughs> ah, like ah, thank you. I needed that. Yeah, yeah. Long-drawn no, no. exclamation of ecstasy. So what, Poirot just orgasmed at the fact that his clue <laughs> had been like... <laughs> just, he just did a massive orgasm and then carried on. Like the Herbal Essences <laughs> advert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Sorry, neighbours. And allons-y. <laughs> wee, wee, wee. <laughs> oh, dear. With a long-drawn exclamation of ecstasy, Poirot led the way back to the morning room. See you? One should not ask for outside proof. No. Reason should be enough. Huh? But the flesh is weak. It is consolation to find that one is on the right track. Huh. Ah, my friend, I am like a giant refreshed. Huh. I run. I leap. Ah! And in very truth, run and leap he did gambling wildly down the stretch of lawn outside the long window. What is your remarkable little friend <laughs> doing? Asked a voice behind me, and I turned to find Mary Cavendish at my elbow. She smiled, and so did I. What is, what is it all about? Really, I can't tell you. He asked Dorcas some question about a bell, and appeared so delighted with her answer that he's capering about, as you see. Mary laughed. <laughs> How ridiculous. He's going out of the gate. Isn't he coming back today? I don't know. I've given up trying to guess what he'll do next. Is he quite mad, Mr. Hastings? I honestly don't know. Sometimes I feel sure he is as mad as a hatter, and then, just as he is at his maddest, I find there is method in his madness. I see. In spite of her laugh, Mary was looking thoughtful this morning. She seemed grave, almost sad. It occurred to me that it would be a good opportunity to tackle her on the subject of Cynthia. I began rather tactfully, I thought, but I had not gone far <laughs> before she stopped me authoritatively. 
You are an excellent advocate, I have no doubt, Mr. Hastings, but in this case your talents are quite thrown away. Cynthia will run no risk of encountering any unkindness from me. I began to stammer feebly that I hoped she hadn't thought, but again she stopped me, and her words were so unexpected that they quite drove Cynthia and her troubles out of my mind. "'Mr. Hastings,' she said, "'do you think I and my husband are happy together?' I was considerably taken aback, and murmured something about it not being my business to think anything of the sort. "'Well,' she said quietly, "'whether it is your business or not, I will tell you that we are not happy.' I said nothing for I saw that she had not finished. She began slowly, walking up and down the room, her head a little bent, and that slim, supple figure of hers swaying gently as she walked. She stopped suddenly, and looked up at me. "'You don't know anything about me, do you?' she asked. "'Where I come from, who I was before I married John, anything?' In fact, well, I will tell you. I will make a father confessor of you. You are kind, I think. Yes, I'm sure you are kind. Somehow, I was not quite as elated as I might have been. I remembered that Cynthia had begun her confidences in much the same way. Besides, a father confessor should be elderly. It's not at all the role for a young man. "'My father was English,' said Mrs. Cavendish, "'but my mother was a Russian.' "'Ah,' I said, "'now I understand. "'Understand what?' <laughs> a, a, "'A hint of something foreign, uh, different, "'that there has always been about you. "'My mother was very beautiful, I believe. "'I don't know, because I never saw her.' She died when I was quite a little child. I believe there was some tragedy connected with her death. She took an overdose of some sleeping draught by mistake. However that may be, my father was broken-hearted. Shortly afterwards, he went into the consular service. Everywhere he went, I went with him. When I was twenty-three, I had been nearly all over the world. It was a splendid life. I loved it. There was a smile on her face, and her head was thrown back. She seemed living in the memory of those glad old days. Then my father died. He left me very badly off. I had to go and live with some old aunts in Yorkshire. She shuddered. <laughs> like it's the worst thing ever. Not aunts in Yorkshire. Not Yorkshire. <laughs> You will understand me when I say that it was a deadly life for a girl brought up as I had been. The narrowness, the deadly monotony of it, almost drove me mad. She paused a minute, and added in a different tone, And then I met John Cavendish. Yes. You can imagine that, from my aunt's point of view, it was a very good match for me. "'but I can honestly say that it was not this fact which weighed with me. "'No,' 
He was simply a way of escape from the insufferable monotony of my life. I said nothing, and after a moment she went on. Don't misunderstand me. I was quite honest with him. I told him what was true, that I liked him very much, that I hoped to come to like him more, but that I was not in any way what the world calls in love with him. He declared that that satisfied him, and so we were married. She waited a long time. A little frown had gathered on her forehead. She seemed to be looking back earnestly into those past days. I think, I'm sure, he cared for me at first, but I suppose we were not well matched. Almost at once we drifted apart. He, it is not a pleasing thing for my pride, but it is the truth, tired of me very soon. I must have made some murmur of dissent, for she went on quickly. Oh, yes, it did. Not that it matters now, now that we've come to the parting of the ways. What do you mean? She answered quietly. I mean that I am not going to remain at Stiles. You and John are not going to live here. John may live here, but I shall not. You're going to leave him. Yes, but why? She paused a long time, and said at last, Perhaps, because I want to be free. Does it rule her out? Well, I don't know, but I just find it hilarious that he just can't, like, he's like, why? Why are you leaving? It's like, she just told you. She married a guy really for the wrong reasons. She's unhappy. Why can you not understand why she might want to change her situation? I think it's a sign of the times, isn't it? That yeah. It's just like, but, 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 but your but husband there's a must man. go with you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's a it's man like, who but... do nothing all day. Why would you not want that? Oh, I like traveling. But you're a woman who would be a spinster and you'd be... Yeah, you can have afternoon tea tomorrow and then put on a nice dress and then have... Yeah, exactly. What more could you want a wall? You can just imagine him carrying on for ages. No, I'm going away and John's staying. Oh, so you're going on holiday and you'll be back later. (laughs) No, we shan't be together anymore. For the season, of course. (laughs) And then you know that like when it finally drips in, you'd be like, oh, and this is because you didn't have kids. If you'd had kids, then you would stick around and you wouldn't be bored and blah, blah, blah. And you know that that probably would have been another societal thing that they'd put on women as well. (laughs) Yeah. Being like, well, the only reason why you're bored is because you have too much time and you have too much time because you didn't have any children. Do your job, Mary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, have you ever thought about sewing? <laughs> <laughs> Embroidery. Oh, God. Needlework French ballet. Done. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so funny, isn't it? Uh... And as she spoke, I had a sudden vision of broad spaces, virgin tracts of forest, untrodden lands, and a realisation of what freedom would mean to such a nature as Mary Cavendish. I seemed to see her for a moment as she was, a proud, wild creature, as untamed by civilization as some shy bird of the hills. A little cry broke from her lips. You don't know, you don't know how this hateful place has been prison to me. I understand, I said. But don't do anything rash. Oh, rash, 
her voice mocked at my prudence. Then suddenly I said a thing I could have bitten out my tongue for. You know that Dr. Bowerstein has been arrested. (laughs) An instant coldness passed like a mask over her face, blotting out all expression. John was so kind as to break that to me this morning. Well, what do you think? I asked feebly. Of what? Of the arrest. What should I think? Apparently he's a German spy. So the gardener had told John. Her face and voice were absolutely cold and expressionless. Did she care, or did she not? She moved away a step or two, and fingered one of the flower vases. These are quite dead. I must do them again. Would you mind moving? Thank you, Mr. Hastings. And she walked quietly past me out of the window, with a cool little nod of dismissal. No, surely she could not care for Bowerstein. No woman could act her part with that icy unconcern. Poirot did not make his appearance the following morning, and there was no sign of the Scotland Yard men. But at lunchtime there arrived a new piece of evidence, or rather lack of evidence. We had vainly tried to trace the fourth letter, which Mrs. Inglethorpe had written on the evening preceding her death. Our efforts having been in vain, we had abandoned the matter, hoping that it might turn up of itself one day. And this is just what did happen, in the shape of a communication which arrived by the second post from a firm of French music publishers, acknowledging Mrs. Inglethorpe's cheque, and regretting that they had been unable to trace a certain series of Russian folk songs. So the last hope of solving the mystery, by means of Mrs. Inglethorpe's correspondence on the fateful evening, had to be abandoned. Just before tea, I strolled down to tell Poirot of the new disappointment, but found to my annoyance that he was once more out. Gone to London again? Is this like a different person? I think it's they, they, the last time I said there was an old Belgian guy who's an another Belgian living in the house. Does he? Is it, should I just do an old version of Poirot? Yeah, do an old. Yeah, yeah do an, haggard. Yeah. Oh, no, monsieur. Oh, no, okay. He's got a cigarette in his mouth at the time. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Gone to London again? No, 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 monsieur. He, he has but taken a train to Telminster. To see a young lady's dispensary, (laughs) (laughs) he said. Silly ass, I ejaculated. (laughs) (laughs) That word should not be used. Uh, No, just never. It shouldn't be used, Uh, even medically. Let's see how we could change the punctuation. (laughs) (laughs) I told him Wednesday was the one day she wasn't there. Well... Tell him to look us up tomorrow morning, will you? Mm, Certainly, monsieur. (laughs) But on the following day, no sign of Poirot. I was getting angry. He was really treating us in the most cavalier fashion. After lunch, Lawrence drew me aside and asked if I was going down to see him. No, I don't think I shall. He shall come up here if he wants to see us. Oh. Lawrence looked indeterminate. 
Something unusually nervous and excited in his manner roused my curiosity. What is it? I asked. I could go if there's anything special. It's nothing much, but, well, if you are going, will you tell him? He dropped his voice to a whisper. I think I found the extra coffee cup. I'd almost forgotten that enigmatical message of Poirot's, but now my curiosity was aroused afresh. Lawrence would say no more, so I decided that I would descend from my high horse and once more seek out Poirot at Leastway's cottage. This time I was received with a smile. Monsieur Poirot was within. Would I mount? I mounted accordingly. Poirot was sitting by the table, his head buried in his hands. He sprang up at my entrance. What is it? I asked solicitously. You're not ill, I trust? No, 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 not ill. But I decide an affair of great moment. Hm. Whether to catch the criminal or not, I asked facetiously. But to my great surprise, Poirot nodded gravely. To speak or not to speak? Huh. As your so great Shakespeare says, that is the question. Hm. <laughs> That's, that's not the line, but sure. No. <laughs> I did not trouble to correct the quotation. <laughs> You're not serious, Poirot? I am of the most serious. Hmm. For the most serious of all things hangs in the balance. Huh? And that is? A woman's happiness, mon ami, he said gravely. I did not know quite what to say. The moment has come, said Poirot thoughtfully, and I do not know what to do. For, see you, it is a big stake for which I play. No one but I, Hercule Poirot, would attempt it. Huh? And he tapped himself proudly on the breast. After pausing a few minutes respectfully, so as not to spoil his effect, I gave him Lawrence's message. Aha! he cried. So he has found the extra coffee cup, huh? That is good. He has more intelligence than would appear, this long-faced Monsieur Lawrence of yours, huh? I did not myself think very highly of Lawrence's intelligence, but I forbore to contradict Poirot and gently took him to task for forgetting my instructions as to which were Cynthia's days off. It is true. I have the head of a sieve. Hmm? However, the other young lady was most kind. She was sorry for my disappointment and showed me everything in the kindest way. Hmm. Oh, well, that's all right then. And you must go to tea with Cynthia another day. I told him about the letter. I am sorry for that, hmm. he said. I always had hopes of that letter. But no, it was not to be. This affair must all be unravelled from within. He tapped his forehead. These little grey cells, it is up to them, as you say over here. Hmm? Then, suddenly, he asked, Are you a judge of finger marks, my friend? Hmm? No, I said, rather surprised. I know that there are no two finger marks alike, 
but that's as far as my science goes. Exactly. He unlocked a little drawer and took out some photographs which he had laid on the table. I have numbered them. One, two, three. Hmm? Will you describe them to me? I studied the proofs attentively. All greatly magnified, I see. Uh, number one, I should say, are a man's fingerprints, thumb and first finger. Number two are a lady's. They're much smaller and quite different in every way. Number three, I paused for some time. There seemed to be a lot of confused finger marks. But here, very distinctly, are number ones. Overlapping the others. Yes. You recognise them beyond fail, hmm? Oh, yes, they're identical. Poirot nodded, and gently taking the photographs from me, locked them up again. I suppose, I said, that, as usual, you're not going to explain. On the contrary, hmm? Number one were the fingerprints of Monsieur Lawrence. Number two were those of Mademoiselle Cynthia. They are not important. I merely obtained them for comparison. Number three is a little more complicated. Hmm? Yes, it is, as you see, highly magnified. Huh? You may have noticed a sort of blur extending all across the picture. I will not describe to you the special apparatus, dusting, powder, etc., which I used. Hmm? It is a well-known process to the police, and by means of it you can obtain a photograph of the fingerprints of any object in a very short space of time. Hmm? Well, my friend, you have seen the finger marks. It remains to tell you the particular object on which they have been left. Hmm? Go on. I'm really excited. Ah bien. Photo number three represents the highly magnified surface of a tiny bottle in the top poison cupboard of the dispensary in the Red Cross <laughs> Hospital at Tadminster, which sounds like the house that Jack built. Huh? Good heavens, I exclaimed. But what were Lawrence Cavendish's finger marks doing on it? He never went near the poison cupboard the day we were there. Oh, yes, he did. Impossible. We were all together the whole time. Poirot shook his head. No, my friend. There was a moment when you were not all together. Hmm? There was a moment when you could not have been all together, or it would not have been necessary to call Monsieur Lawrence to come and join you on the balcony. Hmm? Oh, I'd forgotten that. I admitted, but it was only for a moment. Long enough? Hmm? Long enough for what? Poirot's smile became rather enigmatical. Long enough for a gentleman who had once studied medicine to gratify a very natural interest and curiosity. Hmm? Our eyes met. Poirot's were pleasantly vague. He got up and hummed a little tune. I watched him suspiciously. Poirot, I said, what was in this particular little bottle? Poirot looked out of the window. Hydrochloride of strychnine, he said, over his shoulder, continuing to hum. Good heavens! I said it quite quietly. I was not surprised. I had expected that answer, 
They use the pure hydrochloride of strychnine very little, only occasionally for pills. Hmm? It is the official solution, liquid strychnine hydrochloride, that is used in most medicines. Hmm? That is why the finger marks have remained undisturbed since then. How did you manage to take this photograph? I dropped my hat from the balcony, explained Poirot simply. Visitors were not permitted below at that hour, so in spite of my many apologies, Mademoiselle Cynthia's colleague had to go down and fetch it for me. Hmm? Then you knew what you were going to find? No, not at all. I merely realized that it was possible from your story for Monsieur Lawrence to go to the poison cupboard. Hmm? The possibility had to be confirmed or eliminated. Poirot, I said, your gaiety does not deceive me. This is a very important discovery. I do not know, said Poirot. But one thing does strike me. No doubt it has struck you too. What is that? Why, that there is altogether too much strychnine about this case. Hmm? <laughs> I agree. But the first thing they said was it's a very rare poison that's really hard to get hold of and everybody and their dog seems to have it like yeah. just lying around and just for like, people just to walk off and grab yeah exactly i mean this is looking very good for my case can i just say i'm i'm, I'm enjoying this chapter because it's looking yeah, like Lawrence i'm, I'm, I'm doing well but this would also be the perfect opportunity in in terms of the where it sits in the novel for a final little red herring so yeah, i'm holding out for that <laughs> yeah it's true it's true this is the third time we run up against it there was strychnine in Mrs. Englethorpe's tonic. There is the strychnine sold across the counter at Styles and Mary by Mace. Now we have more strychnine handled by one of the household. Hmm? It is confusing. And as you know, I do not like confusion. Hmm. Before I could reply, one of the other Belgians opened the door and stuck his head in. <laughs> there is a lady below asking for Mr. Hastings. A lady, hmm? I jumped up. Poirot followed me down the narrow stairs. Mary Cavendish was standing in the doorway. I've been visiting an old woman in the village, she explained, and as Lawrence told me you were with Monsieur Poirot, I thought I would call for you. Alas, madame, said Poirot, I thought you had come to honour me with a visit. I will some day. If you ask me, she promised him, smiling. She's such a flirt. That is well. If you should ever need a father confessor, madame. She started ever so slightly. Remember, Papa Poirot is always at your service. Papa <laughs> 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 Poirot! Is this Papa like a Poirot. call me daddy? <laughs> Papa Poirot. It's as close as Poirot gets to a bit of a flirt, maybe. Well, <laughs> maybe I don't know, because if you should need a father confessor, I yeah, mean, obviously confession be, is like, you know, a, a vicar. Yeah, but that's what I mean. So Papa, so it's, like, it's almost like he's saying, like, you know, if you ever want to confess your sins. So that's almost accusatory or at least kind of like i know what you've been up to kind of vibes so well, not quite sure what he's trying to jab at there it definitely is definitely insinuating that she's got sins to confess yes he's definitely so. like you've you've got secrets and i know them she stared at him for a few minutes 
as though seeking to read some deeper meaning into his words. Then she turned abruptly away. Come, will you not walk back with us too, Monsieur Poirot? Enchanted, madame. All the way to Stiles, Mary talked fast and feverishly. It struck me that in some way she was nervous of Poirot's eyes. The weather had broken, and the sharp wind was almost autumnal in its shrewishness. Mary shivered a little and buttoned her black sports coat closer. The wind through the trees made a mournful noise, like some great giant sighing. We walked up to the great door of Stiles, and at once the knowledge came to us that something was wrong. Dorcas came running out to meet us. She was crying and wringing her hands. I was aware of other servants huddled together in the background, all eyes and ears. Oh, 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 ma'am, oh, oh, ma'am, I, I don't know how to tell you. What is it, Dorcas? I asked impatiently. Tell us at once. It's, it's, it's those wicked detectives. They've arrested him. They've arrested Mr. Cavendish. Arrested Lawrence? I gasped. I saw a strange look come into Dorcas's eyes. No, no, sir. Not Mr. Lawrence. Mr. John. Behind me, with a wild cry, Mary Cavendish fell heavily against me, and as I turned to catch her, I met the quiet triumph in Poirot's eyes. End of chapter. Friggin' as John. The cliffhanger. Yeah. But as, as, as Josh said, though, this is the perfect time for like another red herring. And when have, when have Scotland Yard ever been the people to break the case? Do you mean yeah. Poirot needs to be the person to be like, it was him? And this is Scotland Yard going, it was him. So, I mean, I don't think that this is the final suspect. No. Not think... to rain all over the suspense that's just been created in this chapter. <laughs> no, but I do. I, I was actually, weirdly, I was thinking about this in the last week, as you do, as you're wandering around thinking about your own mm. podcast. And, <laughs> and I wonder lonely like, as a cloud. I was like, do you know what? We completely dismissed John really early yeah, doors. With no a second thought, and I thought, well, he's got to have some stake in the game. Well, so, we know he's in debt. We know that he needed money. We know that he wasn't happy with the fact that Emily kept his allowance low, low and low that he couldn't actually rent somewhere else outside of Styles for him and Mary to live. They ha- they had to live with her. So you would feel like a bit like your your stepmother's kind of controlling you in your thing, particularly when you know that your dad was the one with the wealth and she's inherited it just because she was married to him and that. Do you know what I mean? Like you'd feel like she was almost barring your access to your own familial inheritance yeah, and using it to control you and using it to like have power over you. So you could kind of understand a motive there from that. Sure. Yeah. And obviously if you know that your wife isn't happy and she's not happy at the house as well, and you blame your mum for the fact that you're at the house because she's keeping you there. So you, it could be very easy, actually, to make a pay case in that sense against mm. John. It's quite a good chapter, that one. Yeah, I yeah, really enjoyed it that one. a lot, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Took us I on mean, a journey. 
it was nice because we were starting to get below the surface and started to get some of this dirt as well. It was like, you know, knowing, like Mary going, we're not happy. I want to run away. I don't want to be here anymore. And then obviously Poirot, because the thing is, up till now, some of the last few chapters, Poirot has been deducting things, but not been letting us in on the secret. And so it was nice that he's found something, but actually told us about it this time. So you kind of felt like you were just this moron standing in the corner, not able to work out what on earth is going on or why it's relevant. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it definitely felt a lot nicer to be like in on it finally rather than just standing there on the outside so to Uh, review new information yes we've got probably lawrence because it looked more like an l than anything else has had correspondence with the theatrical customer i I think by the time he'd done that i thought he's always going to be the accomplice in some like so that's going to be that that's always going to be the thing do you think it's Mm. both brothers working together that would be nice hmm uh, they don't seem to be very I'm, friendly with each other i'm intrigued to work out like poirot let it slip that mary fancies somebody else and we no, know she, it's not no, dr he... bowerstein oh yeah he did but yeah he, said he was it's basically not like you know yeah he was like it's not bowerstein but she does love somebody and we know it's not john because she said it's but not john did change so quite, she went very icy at the mention of his arrest or the thing they got that thing which went oh i've got to do the petunias or something yeah um, so that was an interesting yeah. gear change that happened yeah but interestingly i mean just i mean i know that this it's not like there's nothing between the two of them but the very last thing that happened there mary cavendish fell heavily against hastings when 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 she found out that it was john so that said so maybe there are not feelings there i don't know why i don't understand yeah why but she... also it could be just complete pretend we know that pretend. we know that when murderers and things like that, like they're very good, or they just they just they pretend they fake stuff. I don't say very She's good. Done that. Normally she, they're overly dramatic with didn't it. Didn't she do that? <laughs> she she did that like quite early on. I swear, Mary. She was rolling she like around a, the wall. When oh, the death happened. Oh. Yeah, she was like, oh god, it's awful. Oh my, a great part to play. She would be. A well, great yeah, I I feel like with the eruption of Hollywood and the movies because obviously this is slightly earlier than when like cinema really really took off not quite the golden age yeah yeah i feel like if this book had been written in the golden age of hollywood that she probably would have been an actress do you know what i mean they would have made her an actress it just it just has the personality that starlet kind of quality about her that you just know that that's what she would have been she would have been like a, a an actress who's like on the way out, like washing, you know, washed, slightly washed up and he's resentful about it or something. Do you know yeah. what I mean? She had, she had her day in all the big pictures. Yes, exactly. Or maybe she would have been, she would have been one of the starlets who was a star. Cause this happened to a lot of the, at the time. They were all stars of silent movies. Mm. And then when they brought in sound, they axed a bunch of people cause they had horrible voices. I do agree with, Poirot that there is just a lot of strychnine as you say you see you've got the strychnine that was in Mrs. Inglethorpe's tonic the strychnine that was sold across the counter at the chemist and now the strychnine that's found so there's just a lot of it around and it's kind of trying to work out which source of it is the one that actually killed Emily which might give you an idea of who put it in 
The best thing to do, surely, if you'd murdered somebody with a different poison, is then to just try and litter the notion of strychnine around as many yeah. places as you can to to throw people off the scent. Because they're like, it's true. Well, if it's been found three times, it surely has to be, you know, that has to be the weapon yeah. of choice or whatever. And as we know, the timeline doesn't fit strychnine, even though the symptoms did. Yeah. So it's like they found it in her system thing, but we know that like it normally acts very quickly from when you take it and she didn't die until four in the morning, but then drank everything a lot earlier than that so yeah. uh it, it's still there's still a lot of question marks i i was hoping that yeah. by chapter 10 i'd kind of have a bit more of an idea We're down to the final who, three yeah but i i i mean i i think lawrence is still in the running i think john is still in the running and i definitely think mary is a little bit sus but is i don't Cynth- know cynthia are we ruling out cynthia i mean i kind of am just maybe because I'm, i don't feel the like there's horse, a motive yeah. Because it seemed to me like from the conversation before he stupidly proposed, Cynthia was basically saying that Emily was the only reason she was at Styles and the only reason why she was looked after. So I feel like removing Emily from that picture actually made her life worse rather than better. So unless it's the case that Emily happened to rewrite a new will where she put Cynthia in charge of everything and... Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. we haven't read what the will says, but although I think the lawyer said that basically everything would go to John and Lawrence, um, I don't see why she'd have a motive to do it because Emily seemed to be the one person, apart from John and Evie, who like looked after her. If she was going to kill anyone, I feel like it would have been Mary. Well, it looks like I'm going to get the wooden spoon then, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, do we have some kind of a prize for whoever wins? If one um... Oh, I don't know. A two-point lead in the quiz. <laughs> yes. A rum a rum hot chocolate or something. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Sent by a post. Yes. <laughs> Sent by a delivery. A well-trimmed beard. A well-trimmed beard. <laughs> a beard trim. <laughs> a, f- a fresh beard. From, from what from was the name London of the costumer. Cost- yeah, costumers. <laughs> Messers, something. I can't remember what it was. And I want a handwritten receipt, Robbie. Really annoying. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the next chapter called, Josh? Where are we going with this after? Chapter 11, which is, I swear, the name of another Agatha Christie. The case for the prosecution. She loves a courtroom drama, Agatha. She loves. I like, love a courtroom loves, drama. Yeah, no, she loves my, it. My favourite film is a courtroom drama. They are good. Fight. So there you go. You're probably going to really enjoy this next chapter then, because it seems like we're going to trial. So. I'm all over it. I've got a prop gavel upstairs. I can use Have you. it. <laughs> Have you? Judge Judy the next. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it. Um, if you could get a wig between now and then, or just make one out of toilet rolls. So it's, are we saying that we're going to have to all come dressed as some kind of courtroom person for, on Tuesday? Is that, our, is that our next thing next week? Well, if you have any thoughts or opinions on this chapter, you can message us on thelazybookclub at gmail.com. Or if in like a courtroom drama you'd like to lay down the law on Twitter, you can do so at, <laughs> at LazyBookClubPod. Yeah, and we want to see all of your IG posts for the prosecution at LazyBookClubPod. Any evidence, any photos you have. You can also follow us on Patreon, where for the very low fee of $3 a month, you get an extra episode every month and also access to our videos that we do as we're recording this. I do sometimes put a few up on TikTok as well. So if you follow us on there at Lazy Book Club Pod, you'll get some videos every now and then. I haven't done any in a while. I definitely need to do some soon. I will make sure some go up this week. We will see you next week for Chapter 11, The Case for the Prosecution. John is in the box. Oh, it's all high stakes now. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.